0: Good evening and uh, welcome to the Olivier and the set and director of uh, Stephen Sondheim and James Goldman's Follies. Um, My name's David Benedict, I'm uh, a former critic and I'm now the biographer of Stephen Sondheim and uh, Dominic is an uh, extremely uh, highly esteemed director who uh, decided to do his first Sondheim, and his first musical uh <laughs> Follies. So he's either, he's either a fool or, or fantastically imaginative, which I think is actually the answer. Um, so let's start with that. Um, what, made you, what made you do? I mean, I, I kind of know the history of, of how, how it
1: happened at all, but I, I'm interested to know in how, how you got involved. Well, um, I'm a big Sondheim fan, I mean, I love his work. I think he's like a kind of, um, he's one of the great theatre makers of our time. And um, um, if you take away the unhelpful uh, barriers that there are between musical theatre and straight plays and just think of, well, who are the greats? Carol Churchill, I think, is one of the greats and I've worked with her a lot. And I think Stephen is, is similar in that he's a great innovator. You know, he never, really, he never really does a piece of work unless there's some new form that he creates for the show. And um, so I listened, I've listened a lot to the shows and I've thought about doing this for quite a long time, actually, it's been in the back of my mind. Um, and then what happened was there was a meeting between Rufus Norris, the artistic director here, and uh, one of Sondheim's key representatives, a guy called Rick Pappas, who's his lawyer, um, uh, about the possibility of doing a show. And I, I think, I think Uh, Rufus suggested this so it was floating around uh, and Rufus thought about doing it I think himself and then we discussed it and then it went away and then it came back again and um, and I thought oh no I would like to do it so I went to see Sondheim in New York um, and that's where it all started. And uh, was your encounter with him what you expected? (laughs) Um, Well I was pretty starstruck I mean you know, he is a great and uh, it was pretty extraordinary to go around to his house. But I, I there, there was a slight misunderstanding because when I got there, I thought I was being interviewed for the job and he thought I'd already got the job and he just wanted to know what I wanted to know about doing the show. So I kind of had misprepared for it. But, uh, but he was, you know, we met, we, met, we, met, uh, I met, we met again after that once, once, once I decided to do it. And, and we also had a lot of communication about the book about how we're going to put the book together. And And he was amazingly supportive through all of that, you know. Um, And very generous and pragmatic about the way I wanted to do it, but also very clear about certain things that we needed to get right. So the next morning, um, I was in New York for a few days, and I sent an email to Imelda Staunton. (laughs) And I said, how would you like to play Sally? And I think she said... Oh, bollocks. I don't know it very well. That's my memory of... <laughs> 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 anyway, she went off and, and, and listened and then we had more conversations and, and then she came on board and then it really kind of... It was all about the dates and the logistics from there.
0: But it's... I mean, the fact that she, the fact that she said something <laughs> akin to what you yeah. remember <laughs> well, um, I mean is hardly huh? surprising in that, in that follies opened on Broadway in 1971 at the Winter Garden. Uh, It played for 15 months. It lost pretty much every penny of its investment, which at that time was Mm. $800,000, and then was not done. Uh, Mm. It was done in London in 1987 in a much revised version that James Goldman wanted to do. There had always been a lot of unhappiness around the book of the show, which is it's very taut and there's not much of it. There just mm. it, there aren't big long dialogue scenes. Uh, Goldman wanted to change it, came up with a new version. Sondheim wrote four new songs, took out the road you didn't take. That production happened produced by Cameron McIntosh with Diana Rigg, uh, Daniel Massey, um, Julie McKenzie. Julie McKenzie uh, and David Healy. And uh, that was fairly successful, but that was it. That's, mm. that's London's experience. Mm. And uh, so Imelda can be forgiven for not, for, for mm. like everybody else, not really knowing the show. Mm. It's, it must be quite, it must be quite a pleasure to be able to not introduce a show because, mm. as I say, the 87 production happened, but no one in this country has seen a full-scale production of the original mm-hmm. text. Or, no, one in, no one in London, there mm. were was, was
1: some regional theatre productions. Yeah, there the first ever one was in Withenshaw, in fact. Um, yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, I did a lot of homework on, on, on all the productions and I saw there's quite a lot of stuff online and I read, there's a wonderful book called Everything Is Possible by a guy called Ted Chapin who worked on the original production. And it's, it's a great book about the creation of a show, actually, I think. And, um, and I read that a couple of times. And uh, I obviously asked sometime quite a lot. So I'd done a lot of work on, well, what were the differences? Why were the changes made? And actually, the, there was a production that was on Broadway in 2011. And another one, which I think is a very good production at Paper Mill Playhouse, which happened in the 90s, I think. Yeah. And that, they all used different books, I mean, really different books. I mean, the one in London was the most different to the original because it really was a completely different show. I mean, there's hardly a line of dialogue that is the same. Um, and But the others were also very, very different to the original. So that, it was a really interesting process to go into it and go, well, what, what were these choices about? And, why did they happen? And, and, but when I read the original, I just thought, there's something um, much more, much deeper um, and more inventive about the original book because it is fractured. It's not, um, it's not trying to be smooth and neat, but the piece is describing a kind of fractured state of mind. So it felt truer to, you know, the piece itself. And actually the line-by-line line dialogue in the original is, in my opinion, better it was really smoothed over in the other ones and the, the detail, the imagery in the line-by-line line line dialogue of this version, which is basically the 1971 version. There are some changes that we've brought in from other books, but um, oh, I think those, it's much Are those better. just
0: about, the, the, those new changes about sort of ironing in details and, and polishing little bits?
1: Well, there are little bits and some things that we thought would help a British audience, you know. Um, I mean, in the 1987 version, it was a it was a car, it was a, originally it was a car park. The theatre was being knocked down for a car park, but then in 1907, they changed it to an office building. I thought, well, that's much more recognizable mm. for a British audience, the idea that buildings are knocked down mm. for office buildings. I can't imagine a situation in London where you knock something down to build a car park because mm. you're not gonna make money out of it. Yeah. So th- there are certain things that I thought would resonate a bit better from other versions. So we, we just, the, but they're mainly quite cosmetic fixes. I mean, it is by and large the original book. And I think sometimes, you know, when a piece of work is created, it's, uh, it's impetus, it has a kind of energy, wh- which, whilst it's not perfect, is true and authentic. And that's what it felt like with this. And We felt it, all of us who read it, um, including Vicky, who designed the show, just thought it was a much more interesting piece of theatre. So that's really wh- why we ended up with, with this version.
0: Did you read it? I mean, th- this is a show that began in 1965, when uh, Goldman and Sondheim started Writing it together, um, did you read any of those? Dra- I mean, there, there were, I mm. think, eleven drafts of that yeah. of that
1: original show, which was called The Girls Upstairs. Um, mm. Did you read those? No, but I knew Wise. the story. <laughs> I didn't think it'd be helpful, but I knew the story that it started as a kind of whodunit, um, and the plot gradually got stripped out. And um, I, I think also, you know, St- uh, Goldman's more of a screenwriter than a stage writer, and it is a filmic structure. Um, so, you know, one embraced that. We tried to embrace that in the way that we did the show, yeah. Uh, but I looked very closely. I got, I got hold of a prompt copy of the 1987 one and I was really surprised by quite how radical the reconceiving of the show had been. Mm. And I think the attempt was to make it into more of, um, well, not feel-good, because you couldn't really do a feel-good show about people having a nervous breakdown. But, uh, but it did have, it was, more of, it, was, it was more of a conventional musical shape. Um, than, than the 71 version.
0: And it does, I mean, it did have a big tonal shift yeah. in, in that the Ben's big number at the end, mm. um, uh, make the most of your music, mm. is, is,
1: is actually a, a much more upbeat piece. End- yeah. Yeah, that was the idea, to send people out of the theatre feeling good about themselves. <laughs> but I think, I think, you know, in a way we've been lucky. I mean, that the show was, it's quite a radical piece of theatre, I think. You know, because the thing about Sondheim, the mistake I think people make with Sondheim is that because he understands popular form, he's, does that doesn't make him a populist artist. He's actually quite a, he's a bit more innovative than that. So there's always been this tension between him as a Broadway artist and him as a kind of more left-field artist. And I think, you know, nowadays, especially in a subsidised house like this, the audiences are going to be more ready for a show that, has elements of escapism and joy in, in it, but but also confronts brutal realities. I just think we're more used to that now than we people were in '71 on Broadway. So I mean, if you, you, if the, the original audiences. reviews of the '71 production, a lot of them are pretty savage. Yeah. And
0: but it is predicated on on an idea that musicals are supposed to be entertaining yeah. and they're supposed to be happy and you're supposed to come out feeling you know, enhanced mm. because you've had a happy time. Yeah. And some of the reviews are, are genuinely kind of cross yeah. that, that, that the writers are not doing that. I yeah. mean it follows on it was actually originally supposed to have taken place before the premiere of Company, mm. but because of various producing reasons with Hal Prince. Hal Prince got Sondheim and George Firth to write Company. That was produced in seventy 17- and then this was produced in 71 Mm. and both those shows got 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 some very snippy reviews from people that felt that musicals shouldn't be doing this sort of thing which is interesting when you compare what's happening in what we could call straight theater you know non-sung theater people don't expect by 1970 that that you've got french windows and a drinks trolley and and that everything is lovely um by the end of the play but there is a degree of thought, clearly, that a Broadway musical should be a Broadway musical. Yeah. And this has elements of it mm. and a completely different tone. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think one of the reasons why it's rarely done is purely that it's incredibly expensive. And, mm. and one of the reasons why it lost its, its investment was also there were 56 people in the company. And it was the end of a period of making shows where huge resources were put on stage. And, as we know. I mean, to do this, we've got 37, and, you know, that's a real push for the national to do shows of that scale. Um, And that's one of our, that's our best resourced theatre uh, in the country, in terms of public funding. Um, So it's really tricky to make a show like this land, and, and I'm sure that's, you know, it's doubly true in the commercial theatre in the West End. To do a show that's about quite dark subject matter. Um, that you know, has that scale, it's, really, it's, a, it's a difficult match to make work uh, financially for an organisation. So
0: once you'd uh, decided to do it, you got a melder on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably you then choose your production team. Yeah, yeah. And then, so how long did you have in, in to sort of, well, in pre-production basically, in, in sort of the planning and strategising and casting? And
1: I think it was about 18 months. I mean, the casting took about a year, Um, obviously not every day, and I was doing other things at the time, but um, yes, that was really tricky. I mean, it's complex, it's very complex to try and cast this, because of course you need people who can sing, dance and act of a certain age, and then you've got to find their young counterparts who've got to be the same height, who've also got to sing, dance and act, and, you know, that was was demanding. Um, And we needed to do a hell of a lot of thinking um, with the design, really, with the kind of concept concept of the show and the thinking about the deep thinking about how to make it land and make it a whole thing because it's been done a lot as a kind of concert and of course the numbers are all quite different in style and how do you make a cohesive whole out of something that's quite fragmented and that was a real that 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 gave us a lot of challenges in the planning um, of it but it was enjoyable it was very enjoyable to do and i'd only done one show with vicky before but um, uh, it was a very pleasurable experience to work with her, and the team that I got together were, you know, brilliant. All of them were c- exceptional. I mean, I think a really important team were, were Nick Skilbeck and, um, and Nigel Lilly working together on the musical direction of the of the show. So and that's the musical supervisor yeah, and the musical director. Yeah, I mean, Nick has done a fair bit of Sondheim. He did um, Sweeney. He did Sweeney Todd with Imelda, and Gypsy with her. But he's a, he's working with him is a bit like the approach that at the best, the, the best kind of end of the RSC approach to Shakespeare in that he just trusts every note and every syllable of the score. And so it's interesting, with, with songs like Broadway Baby or very well-known songs, what's happened is like a photocopy of a photocopy. So people think they know the song and they sing it a certain way. And actually when you look at the score, it's not written like that. So we went back to the scores and uh, very closely looked at exactly. And he was very precise about, about what was written. And the psychology, the great thing about about Sondheim, and it's rather like Shakespeare in terms of the verse structure. The psychology of the characters is in the form. So, you know, how long a note is held will tell you something about where they are at that point. When there are breaks in the singing, empty bars, very, you know, illustrative. So you, you have to really search. He was very brilliant on finding the shapes um, and working with Nigel and the singers on that, or the actors. And then, and then I'd be investigating, well, why is that? Why is that there? And, and it was revelatory, actually. It was really, really helpful. So, you know, I had a really great team of people. We cr- all of them were great. Yeah. It is interesting
0: that lots of people say, oh, Sondheim is so, is so hard to perform. Mm. I would argue that it's actually, if you've got ears and, mm. and, and, and the likes of you mm. and Nick go around, mm. it's actually easier because the text is there. Mm. The text is there in in the lyric. Mm. It's in the accompaniment, and in and in the harmony. And mm. actually, if you listen mm. to what's there, it's giving you all this information.
1: It, you have to be very precise, though. It is. It doesn't have much space in it to improvise. It's 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 really you know it really does make a difference when you hold a note for the precise length of time that it, 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 it is written. And we we've really done that with this show, you know and uh, so, I think I agree with you that it's all the answers are all in the music, but at the same time, you know, there are some composers where you can be a bit looser, but that, that's not the case with this. Uh, it's very, very precise and exacting. Um, but it, it requires people always say you need great actors, and you do, but they've also got to be great singers as well. They really have to be good. You know, they're demanding songs to sing, um, but they need to be also very, the internal life of the character. Has to be very clear. And each song, like a soliloquy in Shakespeare, starts with a character in one place and ends with them somewhere else. And you need to plot through what the change is and moment by moment. I mean, which is great. It's great fun to do as a director and with the great actors like I've had because there's a you know, there's a purpose to the work. It's not just let's make that song sound mm. nice. It's about you know, it's like really storytelling, really, psychological storytelling. I mean, in some ways, the most obvious version of that in this production
0: is um, "I'm Still Here," yeah. which is often done as a <laughs> yes, it's 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 a it's a, a hymn of praise to survival of the self, um, but yeah. it's it's. It's almost like a list song that just mm. goes chronologically, mm. whereas your production, it, it's doing it's doing many other things. Mm. Can you talk through a bit about what that? Yeah, is?
1: I mean, I'm incredibly lucky to have Tracy Bennett doing that number, and um, one of the reasons I w- was so keen on her doing it was not just because she's a really fabulous singer, but she's a brilliant actor. I think. I mean, she's like a slightly shamanistic. You know, there's something very deep within her. And um, we spent a lot of time, just the two of us, doing, working out all the memories, every single one, where she was, what the backstory was, and why she was saying that then. And, um, I mean, one of the things I discovered about, you know, you start out doing a show, whatever the play or piece of work is, and you end up finding a whole lot of things out that you didn't know were there. So for one of the things that I discovered with doing this was that the, the place itself has an incredibly powerful effect on everyone who walks into it the theatre. And I think, you know, she's an interesting character, Carlotta, because she lives a certain way. I mean, she tries not to take life too seriously, but she's got a kind of um, performed way of living. You know, she's like, she knows how to deal with things. She's, she has a kind of patch response to certain situations. But what happens when she starts talking about herself is she remembers who she was, um, and she remembers what she's lost and the cost of, you know, how she's got to that point in her life. And she starts opening up, you know, in that space. And so we started the idea with the idea that she was being quite social at the beginning of the song and entertaining, you know, making jokes about her past. But actually, as she started to remember it, she remembered it, it was actually incredible. There were moments of her life that were incredibly painful and um, that she hasn't thought about. So we tried to always, in every song we did, make every moment a new moment for the... For the for the character, not something that they'd thought of before, so she's not someone who ever looks back. She she doesn't look back. She's always going forward. Uh, so you know, that helped us. And you know, Tracy goes there. That's she mm. goes there. She really will. You know, not just vocally, but as an emotion, she really wants to go into that place. So it was an that was again a, a very enjoyable process. So we did quite a lot of work before she actually started singing it. And then, when she started singing it, we, we really worked on shaping it. I think it's a difficult song. It's a repetitious song, as you say. It's a list song. Uh, it's a long song. Um, and and it's, I think, you know, when you're doing a number like that, or Broadway Baby, or um, Losing My Mind, there's a whole history of that song. And you have to wrench it out of the cabaret world that we're. You know that we're familiar i mean you know so many people have sung i'm still here Streisand sung it and it was in postcards from the edge and da-da-da-da. and you know elaine stritch and all of those versions that you've got to just go no this is the character here in this situation that's thinking these thoughts for the first time and try and clear all that stuff out. it's like doing it's like doing to be or not to be it's the same problem um you know if those words are iconic, and the minute you say them, you feel like you're, you're quoting someone. Mm-hmm. So that, but that was the challenge, but she really wanted to do that. and We plotted the story as well, very clearly, of what it felt like for her coming into the party, and each beat, so that we could get her into the right place for the song. Um, and that there's something cathartic about it, that, that, that it does something to her that makes sense of where she is, and so she leaves. She leaves that party in a different place how, when she come, how she comes in and i think structurally it's really important that the four people at the center who are unable to deal or, or living lies that all the other people who come into the space they're more they're slightly in a better relationship with their past than the four people at the center they're further down the yeah. evolutionary chain you know that they, they 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 they're slightly more uh, they befriended who they were more whereas the four um, the four key characters that are in total denial of who they were. And that's why they have the bigger crisis. So again, it was all about trying to make the thing into a whole. It's not just people coming on and doing numbers. It has to have a cohes- cohesion to it. And that was, you know, we tried to trace that through with everyone. But, but Carlotta's a really interesting uh, character. because you know, She's su- successful and she has a lot of reasons to keep moving forward. Presumably, one of the, that leads me to the mm. fact that
0: one of the differences, presumably, with a musical and, and a non-musical is that you can, you can theatricalise mm. something quite legitimately. It would be very mm. odd to take a speech mm. where someone mm. relived their past and end it in a mm. solo spot mm. and do all of that. Presumably mm. that was rather a pleasure to be able to,
1: to explore that. But it, it, you can't be naturalistic. In, in musical theatre, really. I mean, you can be truthful, but you can't really pretend that you're in a real place, because why does the orchestra suddenly start? I mean, the, in, <laughs> in, in, this show, in this show, there's two types of song. There's the pastiche of the past. You know, there, 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 are the, there are the songs that the women did and performed at the time, which are like, they're recreating those songs. They are actually in the theatre doing those numbers. And then there are the book songs, which are about the relationships between people. Uh, and that they're kind of heightened expressions of what's going on between people. And so we tried to use a different approach to both of those. And the ones that they relive, we pretty much all of the time, at some point in the song, either a follow spot comes on or they actually go back in time, in their memories. So the lighting story kind of tells, you know, we go, we go from the kind of dingy theatre into something much more flamboyant, and much more a memory of the follies. So, yeah. So we, 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 you know, we, we tried to give a logic to everything where, where we could. If you haven't seen it, queue um, for returns. If you can't get
0: in, then you see it at NT Live. Um, but uh, whatever you do, don't miss it if you haven't already seen it. Um, uh, we have to leave it there. I would like to thank you all for coming, and most particularly uh, Dominic Cook for directing a show so well, and thank you so well.
1: Thank you very much.